Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Well, welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman, and Buzz Eisenberg is here with us. And we start our show today by welcoming back to our studio, Josh Silver, who is now a senior advisor for the Kennedy Institute for the U.S. Senate, a political consultant. He was, of course, previously the executive chairperson of Represent Us, getting big money out of politics. Josh Silver, I want to know, I really want to know, and I really want to know what you think about what I really want to know, which is, is Donald Trump getting indicted? And a question that I would have considered absolutely idiotic a few years ago, which is, does this leading presidential candidate's potential indictment, if he does get indicted, does that help him or hurt him? Talk to us. Good question. Good morning, folks. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it, the short answer is yes, it looks quite likely that Donald Trump is going to be indicted in the state of Georgia. Um, he's going to be indicted possibly for uh, election-related crimes, um, solicitation to commit election fraud. Remember, he specifically said, could you get me 11,600 and whatever votes to the coincidentally the exact number he needed to, to turn the, the result. Um, Non-election-related crimes, uh, crimes like making false statements, um, forgery in the first degree, criminal solicitation, um, and then and then some other uh, sort of racketeering related crimes. But the interesting question, Bill, as you said in the lead, is you know, will that matter? Will, does that does that going to actually turn off his voters? And 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 the the fact of the matter is, remember, all that matters in the short term is the Republican primary, and in the Republican primary. You've got a a fascinating dynamic where you know roughly a, a third of Republicans and Republican leaning voters still consider themselves supporters more of Trump than the Republican Party. Okay, so a third of these Republicans are are really Trumplicans. They're not Republicans, so they're going to vote with him no matter what. The current uh, latest polling on a Trump DeSantis head to head. Ron DeSantis, of course, the governor from Florida, has uh, Trump up by about 13, 12 points. So 43% for Trump, 31% for Ron DeSantis. And then the others, like Nikki Haley and, and one other gentleman, I can't remember his name, they're like way down. But that this is extremely early. This is February 28th, the year before the election. These numbers could swing massively. I mean, Ron DeSantis hasn't even announced his candidacy for president yet, though he will. So it is completely up in the air, but the bottom line is, if and when Trump is indicted, it is entirely likely that his false witch hunt, the establishment is after me, it's a conspiracy. That's actually gonna resonate and play in his favor with Republican voters, and ironically, getting indicted is going to probably help Donald Trump gain more votes in these extreme Republican primaries. The last thing I'll say, though, there is a little silver lining, which is an indicted 
former president. This would be the first time in our nation's history this has ever occurred. Could realistically turn off the Republican Party to Donald Trump, where these the fact that he's been the ostensible head of the party for the last three elections and they have lost seats each time. There's a credible argument that he's hurting more than helping the Republicans. Then he's indicted. It, I know you're going to probably, Bill, Buzz, you're probably going to say I'm crazy, but this could be sort of the straw that breaks the camel's back for the party. What does that mean? This is a Republican Party that seems to, uh, well, do quite well with the racism, with the American firstism, with the xenophobia, with the anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric and policies. What does that mean? It's going to break the back of the Republican Party. Well, two answers to that. Since you're since you're pointing out correctly the racism, let's not forget that the uh, the district attorney in in uh, the state of Georgia is a strong black woman. And you know that the Republicans are going to use that for this both a covert and overt racism that pervades their party to really show that this is not just a witch hunt for Donald Trump. This is this is the black people coming after me. This is going to just foment more racism. Um, and and it's it's really dangerous and scary, as was what we saw with the Dilbert cartoon. Uh, this week. So that's an underlying issue. But I think to answer your question about why would that matter to the Republicans, it's what matters is the general election. And the Republican Party un understands that Donald Trump can scarcely win a general election, even if he can win the Republican primary and become the nominee. An indicted president with swing voters, the voters that we know he needs in order to win, and he hasn't been able to get them in 2018, 2020, or 2022, which is why you've seen losses uh, that really outnumbered gains um, because of Trump, that that dynamic will just worsen in 2024. Well, well explain this to me, if you would, please. We're going to have, as all likelihood, a re-election campaign by Joe Biden with the same ticket, Vice President Kamala Harris. And there will be, I think, for the first time in my lifetime, except for a little, little hint of this when Ronald Reagan ran the first time, which was Biden is old. He just is old to be president. And in his mid-80s, by the time he gets well into this second term, should he be reelected, there seems to be that there is a significant medical possibility that he would have to step aside and Kamala Harris would become vice president. And therefore, Kamala Harris as president becomes a real issue in this campaign, whereas most of the time, the vice presidential nominee does not matter. But here, I think she really will. I'd appreciate your thoughts about that. Well, you know, you're you're scratching a, a tricky itch, Bill, because the fact is, is that Kamala Harris so far has really struggled to connect with voters. Um, and I think that's partly her fault. And I think it's partly the the nature of racism. Um, the areas where it's her fault is if you listen to, say, interviews with Kamala Harris when she was a presidential candidate, 
it was frankly super disappointing because she very rarely took any assertive positions about anything. It was like she was running for vice president from the beginning. And I would listen to these, like the, the New York Times, the Daily Podcast had this great interview that, and it was called, it was 24 minutes. Well, who is Kamala Harris? And it was kind of like at the end, I was like, she's kind of like nobody, like she's not really making assertive stands that are outside of the standard democratic sort of talking point. So for, for voters like me and others, that was disappointing. But then you layer racism, which is like the same, and sexism, and it's the same thing that made it so that Hillary Clinton is shrill, or you know Kamala Harris just doesn't connect with voters. You layer those two together, and she is a very uh, a weak candidate as of today. Now, maybe she can turn that tide, but as of right now, Kamala Harris's popularity across the board is is really uh, not very good. Yeah, but there is no chance that Joe Biden is not going to keep her as his vice president, is there? I mean, as a very practical matter, the black vote is the core vote of the Democratic Party and in the general elections. And somehow disinviting Kamala Harris from the vice presidency is not going to play. That doesn't even strike me as a realistic possibility. That is missing. No, you're not missing anything, but you're also, we're in a situation where if you could wave a magic wand, you know, the, the Democrats would have, say, Joaquin Jeffries or, or Gretchen Whitmer or somebody with more charisma, more youth um, in that seat. And, and as is very often the case, in fact, nearly every time, uh, I think you could almost argue really, other than Obama and Clinton, you've had a relatively low charisma president or presidential candidate on the Democratic side. And that trend is going to continue in 2024. And there's nothing the Democrats can do about it. Well, what about the possibility of Kamala Harris uh, stepping aside and saying, but I think we should have a black candidate. And I would really like to see Cory Booker be the vice president. What about that idea? I mean, great, Bill, as is often the case, you could throw these silly scenarios at me all morning, but I don't think that will make them come true. I mean, I haven't heard a shred of credible evidence that Cory Booker, Booker or Joaquin Jeffries or anyone else is being seriously considered to step into that spot. So, yeah, this is going to be a fascinating set of matchups, but I can tell you this, if 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 Ron DeSantis who is a much smarter, much more sophisticated authoritarian, wins the Republican nomination, which is entirely possible at this juncture, then the Democrats are going to have an extremely difficult time beating Ron DeSantis in a general election with the Biden-Harris uh, ticket. And that is what Americans should be truly afraid of. Okay, I'm glad we're back. Well, I'm glad. In a sense, I'm glad for the conversation that we're back to Ron DeSantis. I am frightened of this person. I find him way more frightening and dangerous than Donald Trump ever was. And I thought Trump and think Trump is really dangerous. Your view of DeSantis? I mean, I just think that this is a guy who is uh, very similar uh, to, say, Viktor Orban, the authoritarian in, in Hungary. Um, he does not really believe in democracy. If, he, if the results don't go with what he wants, um, he says that it's fraud, just like Trump. 
he is an overt racist and misogynist. He, um, he, he essentially, the best way to put it is, um, and as I can't take credit for this, Ron DeSantis is a politician of opposition. Ron DeSantis is about what he's against, who he is against. He is not about what he is for. So this is something you have to understand on uh, on Ron DeSantis is that he is all about <clears throat> being anti-woke, being anti-immigrant, being anti, um, you know, universal health care, being anti, you know, <clears throat> you go through the list. There's nothing he's for, but there is a huge swath of these swing voters and moderate Republicans who, in comparison to Trump, view Ron DeSantis as, as really quite reasonable and level-headed, and he would do very well uh, in a general election matchup against Joe Biden. Well, it's a general election matchup. We're going to talk about the same six or eight states that whose electoral votes, electoral college votes, will determine the election. Does DeSantis... Do you think he will poll well and do well in those half a dozen states, the only ones that really matter? Absolutely. Wisconsin, Arizona, Pennsylvania, Michigan. Uh, these are the states where uh, he's going to do quite well. And even though he does these weird things, like he goes up against the Disney company, right? One of the most popular companies in the United States because they're supporting LGBTQ rights and women's rights and, and, um, and, and he seems to come through it like Trump, sort of unscathed. I mean, these cultural wars that he runs around teaching about the history of racism in classrooms, which is something he's trying to eliminate, right? He wants to literally make it illegal to teach history from the perspective of the oppressed, which really is the only way to, uh, to teach it. He does the don't say gay law that he says in terms of like employers you know, it, it, it's just, it, it goes on and on and on. And this is something that's sort of the sleeping dragon and everyone's focused on Trump. Trump's not raising any money. The biggest political donors in the Republican party, the biggest ones who formally backed Trump were recently at a DeSantis event in Florida. Like they're literally, everything is migrating away from Trump who still has a very big small donor base, but the large donors are not with him anymore. And this is a slow trickle, which while, you know, the 12 points that separate Trump and DeSantis today are going to seem very small given uh, after DeSantis actually announces and after some months pass. Yeah, and after two other things can come into focus, one of which is that Trump's lead over DeSantis not so long ago was 25 points. So it's half of what it was not more than a few months ago. and. The indictment's going to play, as you pointed out, both ways. It will really rile up that base, but it's also going to hurt him with moderate. Well, I'm not sure we can quite say that, but that sliver of Republican primary voters um, that will care about the potential that the next president that they are voting for could be sitting not in the White House, but in jail. We'll be right back with more with Josh Silver, Political Gold with Josh Silver, right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. 
Alison Bechdel's graphic memoir, Fun Home, leapt off the page and onto the Broadway stage. Alison describes her landmark comic strip, Dykes to Watch Out For, as half op-ed column, half serialized Victorian novel. Alison Bechdel will be at Smith this Thursday, reading from her new graphic memoir, The Secret to Superhuman Strength, and more. Alison Bechdel, a reading, plus a book signing with the Broadside Bookshop, this Thursday at John M. Green Hall at Smith College. It's free. Get tickets online at Smith College Tickets. That stabbing pain in your neck that keeps you up at night. Ugh. The creaking noise you hear while climbing the stairs. Well, if you ruled out that your neck pain isn't your partner, and the creaking noise isn't the stairs, and it's your knee, maybe it's time to make an appointment with the physical therapy team at New England Orthopedic Surgeons. And at New England Orthopedic Surgeons Physical Therapy, you don't have to be a patient to set up an appointment. Whatever you need, the physical therapist at New England Orthopedic Surgeons will work with your primary care doctor to ensure you're getting the exact treatment for your injury and severity of pain. Physical therapy can be a great option if surgery isn't. Call or go online to set up your appointment today at a location near you in Northampton, East Longmeadow, Springfield, Feeding Hills, or Ludlow and get physical with New England Orthopedic Surgeons Physical Therapy. Push! Push! Come on! One more! Let's go! 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 Is this your idea of personal training? If so, you've got it all wrong. Or perhaps we've got it all right at Fitness Together, where we meet you where you are to get you where you want to be. Fitness Together trainers help you reach your goal at any fitness level, even despite ailments and physical limitations. So don't let a misconception keep you from having the energy to do what you love. Learn how you can get it together at Fitness Together Amherst or Northampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we continue our segment, Political Gold, with Josh Silver. Josh Silver is a senior advisor for the Kennedy Institute for the U.S. Senate. He is a political consultant, and he is one of the most knowledgeable people I know and that we know about politics in the United States. We've been speaking about Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis and the Republican primary and the potential for Trump to be indicted and what effect that would have on the 2024 presidential election. I'd like to follow up the question of indictment, uh, which you have given us, I think, significant insight into, Josh, and ask you whether or not you think the fact that the indictment is likely to come from a state prosecutor as opposed to the federal Department of Justice is going to be significant or whether people will say an indictment is an indictment is an indictment. What's your view? Yeah, it's it's, it's almost certainly going to be coming from from Georgia. Um, it's I think it's it's notable that that Georgia has the 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 biggest smoking gun. Remember, the documents, the classified documents, some of the most most highest security clearance documents, the most top secret documents that that Trump. Uh, squirreled away to his resort in Mar-a-Lago. At us, at one point, that appeared to be his biggest vulnerability, where where the, they would finally they'd sort of get him for his many crimes. But of course, as your listeners know, when it turned out that Joe Biden and Mike Pence both have uh, had classified documents at their homes, 
it made it a much trickier politically. Now that continues. This session, this special prosecutor Smith continues apace, and it is entirely possible that Trump is going to see an indictment later, later than Georgia, um, because of his failure to turn those classified documents back over to the government, which is really would be where the crime is, less that the fact that he had them and more that he kept them, said he returned them and didn't and resisted efforts, as opposed to Pence and Biden, who very readily gave them back. Now, that that line of attack of, of, of legal jeopardy became much softer because these three former or these three electeds are, are all facing the same thing. Um, but on the other fronts, you know, that's where he's really exposed, because in Georgia, of course, there's this audio recording of Donald Trump talking to Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad uh, Raffensperger, saying, come on, Brad, I just need 11,600 votes. And that is just a massive smoking gun, which just shows explicit election fraud. The fact that Donald Trump has not already been indicted for this and so many other uh, things is just a testament to the power of his base, the how politicized Donald Trump has become because prosecutors, and this is sad because it feels more like, uh, it doesn't feel like a, a, a developed country, right? This feels like what you'd see in a war-torn nation um, in, in, in other parts of the world where the politics are preventing the appropriate indictment because of fears, correct fears, that the Donald Trump base is so incitable, so violent, that the, the, the cost-benefit analysis just doesn't work out because there would be po great political and judicial instability brought by these haranguing masses of Trump supporters. And so, you know, in light of that, it seems like the only prosecutor who really has the, the sort of courage right now is the prosecutor from Georgia and perhaps Lisa James in New York, but others just so far, so far have not demonstrated the political willingness uh, to actually go out and, and hold him to account. Josh, I want to ask you about something else entirely different, but I want to make this point. I am not at all clear that that famous statement by Trump, find me the 11,000 and whatever the number was, one more vote than what we have been deemed to have lost Georgia by, find those votes. There's going to be an argument. He was just saying, find the votes. We know I was, the election was stolen. We know that there were tens of thousands of votes for me. We don't need all of those. We just need this number, which of course, and it was a totally legitimate above board kind of statement. And you, you characterize it as a smoking gun. I'm not at all clear that's true. Well, hey, you're the lawyer. I'm just a political analyst. I know Buds will have some opinions on this, but I, it, it's really hard for me to give you an analysis that's better than yours. So I would turn the question back to you and say, on what grounds do you think it's it's weak? Yeah, I think that the, the, the grounds on which it's, Bill is talking about, and I agree with him, it's, it's proof beyond a reasonable doubt that would have to be established. And I'm not sure if that's going to... I mean, I think an indictment is going to happen. It seems that way based on what we know, but it's not—it's not a cakewalk to 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 uh, get a conviction. Yeah, yeah. And if there if there's a trial before the election and he's acquitted and Trump comes out saying, "I told you, we're back. I'm gonna win," that would be really problematic. I yeah, think. the trial will take longer than that. 
you mean you're saying it's never going to happen before the presidential election? I, I mean, you guys would know is better than me, but I, I, you'd have to think that any any indictment filed would take quite some time. And I Trump's legal so. strategy is always delay, delay, delay. Right. Right. Well, let's turn to a different topic. Josh Silver, during the break, of all things you wanted to talk to us about, UFOs and Josh Silver, I am all ears. Talk well, to me, okay, Mike. Okay, so, you know, I'm teeing this up because we're going to run out of time soon, but for my next appearance, I want to have a US UFO conversation because I've never believed in UFOs. I've always known they're in the abstract. They have to exist because the, the, the universe is infinite, so they have to be out there, but... Um, I never believed that there was any credibility to any allegations of UFOs when I was a younger person. But what is stunning, and it kind of was brought to light because of the China balloon and and the funny, just I shouldn't mention Saturday Night Live skit, which is like, hey, we all have a Google Voice and Alexa, and you're worried about some balloon, you know, uh, you know, monitoring us from from forty thousand feet. I don't know. So there's an perspective there, but. Um, that all that aside, it really brought the question of UFOs more to the fore. And if you dig around, guys, like the number of really upstanding, normal, mostly re recently retired Navy, Air Force, Army fighter pilots who have come out publicly in the last four years being like, guys, this is crazy. Like we have not just one or two, but like we're talking about dozens and dozens and dozens of these, like a square metal object surrounded by some sort of sphere that defies all kinds of normal physics. And that these are regularly being seen off of Virginia, off of Washington state, like regularly being filmed, right? They, they're, 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 they're called unidentified aerial phenomena. They accelerate at speeds up to Mach 1, the speed of sound. They can hold their position appearing motionless in the middle of a category four hurricane. They don't have any visible means of lift, control surfaces, propulsion. And I, I just think that one of the th the leads that's been buried and we'll save it for my next appearance is like the staggering number of credible people coming out of the military saying, we need to pay more attention to this while we're obsessing on the China balloon. There's UFOs all over the place. Well, UFOs are now in responsible scientific uh, circles are for the most part referred to as unidentified aerial phenomenon because we don't know that they're objects. In fact, with the balloons, they were in fact UFOs. They were unidentified flying objects. They were real objects. The aerial phenomenon that has been reported, and many of those reports debunked, by the way, but that, is, that being the case, it seems to me that when those pilots show us all the films, here's what I saw and here's their photographs, instead of here's what I saw, believe me, I will be more inclined to believe it. In the meantime, as we, this is a topic we actually have discussed on the show a significant number of times with astronomer Salman Hamid, and he quotes Carl Sagan, who says, listen, I believe there is life beyond life on Earth. Whether there is intelligent life with technology, that's a different topic, and of course it raises the issue of when was that uh, uh, civilization, when did it exist, and how did it exist? Uh, but that aside, too, it, the, what 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 
Professor uh, 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 Salman Hamid and Carl Sagan say is, this is an extraordinary claim. And for extraordinary claims, you need extraordinary proof. And so far, you haven't shown it. But I do want to talk to you about this, Josh, because last I knew you were a well-grounded, smart person. And I want to hear what you have to say about this. Okay, we'll talk about it next time. There's been 247 new reports from the through the Director of National Intelligence in the last 17 months on these unidentified objects. So we will talk about it on the next show. But I just want to throw I mean, in that, that a, a friend of mine told me, I haven't seen it, told me about a report that he saw by a graduate student. There are over 90,000 claims over the last 50 years by people that they saw something that was unsubstantiated. And, and I agree with Salman, we need actual evidence. But there's a lot of people right now who I think are saying, see, I told you so. I think there are a lot of people saying, see, and I'm saying, show me. I want to see the photographs, undoctored, undoctored photographs. Show me. Show me the proof. All right, we will, anyway, go, to a vid- we will go to a video blog format next week, folks, and we will show you. All right, we'll see what we can do. Josh, thanks so much for your time and insights. Really appreciate it. This has been Political Gold with Josh Silver. We'll be right, right back with more Talk the Talk after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. More than a dozen police cruisers could be seen on King Street in Northampton last night surrounding a vehicle. A fire truck was also on site. Northampton Police Department say they cannot provide any further information at this time. The Registry of Motor Vehicles is closing some of their locations due to the snow. Offices in Chicopee, East Hampton, Greenfield, Springfield, and Pittsfield are among those that are closed. Road tests are also canceled. The RMV will still conduct all driver's license suspension hearings, however, that are scheduled for today. Mountain Road is closed to all traffic today. East Hampton police are asking drivers to find another route. There is no word yet on when it will reopen. The road was closed as of 11 p.m. last night. East Hampton officials are reviewing three redevelopment proposals for the former Center, Pepin, and Maple Elementary schools. The council declared the schools surplus after it was determined they were no longer necessary for municipal use last September. The three proposals all contain an element of affordable housing and come from the NHP Foundation, a nonprofit from New York City, Arch Communications from Needham, and Wayfinders, the Springfield Affordable Housing Development nonprofit, which wants to buy just the Maple Street School to redevelop into 54 new housing units. Mayor Nicola Chappelle plans to name a committee to review each bid package and present to City Council. Snow continues today. The good news is that the snow will lessen in intensity by mid-afternoon and the temperature will be arising to or above freezing, which will also limit accumulation on roadways. So mainly a wet and occasionally slushy evening commute. High temperatures today, 32 to 36. Evening flurries tonight, then partial clearing overnight, low 14 to 20. Increasing clouds tomorrow with a chance of a late rain or snow shower, a high of 40 to 44. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. This News Minute is brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. 
El lunes, la Casa Blanca dio a las agencias gubernamentales 30 días para garantizar que no tengan la aplicación TikTok de propiedad china en dispositivos y sistemas federales. En un intento por mantener seguros los datos de Estados Unidos, todas las agencias federales deben eliminar TikTok de los teléfonos y sistemas y prohibir que el tráfico de Internet llegue a la empresa, dijo la directora de la Oficina de Administración y Presupuesto, Shalanda Young, a las agencias en un memorando de orientación. La prohibición ordenada por el Congreso a fines del año pasado sigue a acciones similares de Canadá, la Unión Europea, Taiwán y más de la mitad de los estados de Estados Unidos. La prohibición de dispositivos, si bien afecta a una pequeña porción de la base de usuarios de TikTok en Estados Unidos, agrega combustible a las llamadas para una prohibición total de la aplicación para compartir videos. Las preocupaciones de seguridad nacional sobre China aumentaron en las últimas semanas después de que un globo chino voló sobre los Estados Unidos. TikTok, propiedad de ByteDance, ha dicho que las preocupaciones se deben a informaciones errónea y ha negado haber usado la aplicación para espiar a los estadounidenses. Este martes, el Comité de Asuntos Exteriores de la Cámara votará un proyecto de ley que le daría al presidente Joe Biden la autoridad para prohibir TikTok en todos los dispositivos de Estados Unidos. En otras informaciones, la gobernadora de Massachusetts, Maura Healey, dio a conocer el lunes un plan de reforma fiscal de aproximadamente 750 millones de dólares destinado a ofrecer ahorros significativos para familias, inquilinos, personas mayores y otros. La gobernadora está proponiendo varios cambios al Código Fiscal. El plan necesitará la aprobación legislativa. Se espera que Healy presente su proyecto de ley de reforma tributaria el miércoles, junto con las recomendaciones presupuestarias requeridas para el próximo año fiscal. Yo soy Johan Rashi Vega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Hollywood Media a través de WHMP. This News Minute has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And this is Black in the Valley on Talk the Talk. Our segment hosts are the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks and Professor Carly Tartikoff. Uh, they have with them and us today two very special guests as we look forward to uh, the end of Black History Month and looking forward to another day and month that commemorates struggle in the United States. Before we turn to Professor Carly Tartikoff and her two various and their very special guests today, I'd like to go to the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Brooks, who has some words of remembrance that, well, I think are really important and that I'm really happy you will share with us. Reverend Jacqueline Smith-Brooks, please, the microphone's yours. Thank you, Bill. Um, have some sad news, um, but great remembrances of one of our community members, both in the uh, larger community and at the University of Massachusetts. The passing of longtime activist and professor John Bracey. Uh, John was so very instrumental in what is now one of the things that's that's um under under attack and it's black presence in academia from k to 12 that's that's what's uh, under under attack 
but he was one of the founders of the Africana Studies Department at the University of Massachusetts. One of the greatest in the country. He passed on February 6th and leaves quite a memory in academia, it leaves quite a gap in the academic circles. And we would like to send our condolences out today to his wife, Dr. Ingrid Bracy, their family, both at the university and throughout the country. Um, and we, we, we would ask that you uh, lift them up and think of them today. Um, the uh, arrangements for uh, more formal service will be announced later. John Bracey was an amazing human being, an extraordinary scholar, and an integral part of many communities here in the Valley and across the country. Uh, he will be sorely missed. Thank you for remembering him and remembering him for all of us, Jacqueline. I really appreciate that. Yes. Let me turn now, if I might, to Professor Carly Tartikoff, who has with her and us today two very special guests. So, Carly, uh, let me turn the microphone over to you. The pleasure of the introduction is yours. Yes, and thank you. And thank you, Jacqueline. That was a very appropriate way for us to end Black History Month, which we are stepping out of. And we're going to be entering Women History uh, Month. And a very special program is coming up on March 8th. For the second year, the Longmeadow Adult Community Center will create International Women's Day. We'll celebrate them, so they didn't create it on March 8th. And the event will feature live presentation. It is entitled Voices of Resistance. We're going to celebrate and acknowledge the women and women of color from the 1800s to the present who stayed uh, on the move for justice, equality, and inclusion. And this year, their voices will range from the Salem witch trials to the freedom fighters. Our guests today are Janine Fondon, professor at Bay State, I mean, Bay Path University, and curator of the Voices of Resilience Museum exhibit, and a project scholar uh, with her is Dr. Demetria Shabazz, and they want us to remember that all women on the move and be inspired to stand on the shoulders of greatness and help in creating a more equitable world for all of us. So, I'd like to start uh, by asking you, Janine, Two years ago, you started this project at the Springfield Museum, and you have since moved your exhibit to different locations in the state, in South Hadley last year, and now in Longmeadow. What and how were you inspired to do that? Well, first of all, just tell us what the exhibit is. Okay, and thank you so much. Good morning to all. Um, before I get started, just wanted to echo your sentiment uh, regarding uh, John Bracey. Also, to remember the great Luana Hood, who has appeared on this yeah. show 
who first brought us to this show and I want to remember her as well. It would not be Black History Month without her sentiments. Yes, um, thank you. And, thank you. and going back to the question, and thank you all for your show. It's so important to insert the voices. And that's what the program is really all about, to insert the voices into the narrative today. Um, and we have a lot of different voices. We have the exhibit where you will see probably seven to 10 panels of stories. The original exhibit carried about six, 70 plus stories. Um, and you will also, this particular program, voices that come alive. Um, and I love that phrase by Lawana Hood where black history comes alive. And in our voice, where women's history comes alive, like, you know, where we'll hear from, you know, Ida B. Wells and Sojourner Truth and some of the other uh, greats, you know, through these presentations. And I'm sure uh, Dee can add a little bit more to the, the depth of the history with the program as well. Yes, hello, good morning. And echoing the, the sentiments about uh, Professor John Bracey, that um, you know it's important that we recognize this contribution because in many ways, like Luana Hood, Professor John Bracey uh, laid the foundation in the valley when it comes to uh, you know understanding uh, Black history, African American or African descendant contributions to the historical record, both, uh, you know, nationally, internationally, but uh, locally. And so, you know, it's, it's important that we recognize that, you know, what's important uh, for this invitation to Longmeadow is that you have a community that, um, you know, has some challenging history, particularly at the turn of the last century. Um, you know, as someone that studies history, uh, you can look into uh, the digital common archive that's that's freely available uh, pertaining to the women's uh, organizations in Longmeadow um, and the July 4th parades. And you'll see some pretty troubling imagery. And of course, we can mark it off as that was part of the times. But I think that is what's important, is that communities like Longmeadow uh, and other communities are uh, trying to lead a path towards healing and inviting us in to uh, give some context to uh, women of color and their contributions locally and nationally, I think is an important uh, step in, in that path. Could you tell us uh, a little bit more about what the exhibit is? We go to see it. Are we seeing photographs? Are we hearing presentations? Are there, uh, I don't want to take a guess. What do we see? Well, what you will see will be about seven uh, to 10 panels. And these are panels, they're museum panels that you would normally see in um, a museum. And on those panels will be stories of, of different people based on you know, what we curate for that particular area. So there will be a new panel on Long Meadow history. So each area, like we went to South Hadley, we had some stories that came out of South Hadley and we will have a few stories that we'll release 
um, that will cover Long Meadow. So you'll come in, and I just want to say uh, thanks to Mary Beth Bergeron and Janine McVeigh. Uh, Janine is with Bay Path, and Mary Beth is with the Long Meadow um, Adult Center, because yes, this is a, a great opportunity to bring in this space just the honoring of the the connection with these women so so you will see the panels and then there'll be this will be the first ever really live program that we have so you will hear from people there about maybe um i think six live presentations so you'll so journal truth is one ida b wells is another um i will speak about my um, grandmother who came via ellis island there is there are a lot of stories that you will hear and including the story of um a springfield resident who african heritage woman who ties back to the salem witch trials i don't know if you must add anything else it sounds really fascinating. Listen, we have to take a quick break. We'll be back with more with Black in the Valley with Janine Fonda and Dimitri Shabazz, professors both. Really fascinating program. They are part of, in part of this bringing Black history and making it real to everyone here in the Valley. We'll be back with more Black in the Valley right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. So this is Massachusetts way of saying, we think it's an important program. We think it's important enough to continue for students and their families. And we're going to put the money up front to make sure it continues so that if the federal government does not renew it, Massachusetts will still have universal school meals. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Fill in the blanks. H-A-M-B blank R-G-E-R. -E you get it? How about B blank T-T-E-R L blank N-C-H. I don't have a hard time filling in the blanks. You? If you need to fill in the blanks on your grocery list, hop into State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits right in downtown Northampton. Swing into their big free parking lot between classes before pickup, after drop-off, and fill in the blanks on your grocery list. Or pick up a quick stroller sandwich for lunch for you or your kids. Or heck, you could do all of your grocery shopping there. No blanks left on the list. And did I mention that they're called State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits? You could also pick up some LIQ blank OR. You can fill in all the blanks on your grocery list at State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits on State Street, downtown Northampton.
The last place any of us wants to end up is the auto body shop. But if you ever do, the people to turn to are the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. At Fort Hill, you can leave your concerns at the door. They'll work with your insurance company and return your vehicle back to you in perfect condition. Guaranteed. Look, you love your car. Fort Hill Collision Services will love it too. So for the European touch for your foreign or domestic vehicle, trust the experts at Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9 in Amherst. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we continue our Black in the Valley segment with the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks and Professor Carly Tartikoff. Carly, bring us back yes. into our conversation. Yes, we are talking to two special people who are responsible for the uh, program that's being exhibited in Longmeadow, uh, entitled Voices of Resistance. I would like to start with a question to Demetria Shabazz. How, you, both of you are highlighted in the uh, exhibit. How did you decide what women would be exhibited this year? Well, that's probably a question uh, best for for Janine. Um, I know that we have tried to uh, make this history accessible. And mm. so we have included a lot more uh, in terms of actual performances, making mm. that history come alive. Um, one of the things that is particularly important is that you know we have uh, the close of uh, African American History uh, Month and then the opening of Women's History Month, and it really symbolically uh, shows this intersectional kind of uh, relationship of women of color, not only to their oppression but to the joys of their successes and this history. And so, you know, we want to recognize uh, women of color, African descendant women uh, and their complex identities. And so we have featured women from Cape Verde. We have featured women's history, you know, coming from the Salem witch trials. So all of this is very complex history, very rich history, and that's something we particularly want to, every time we do one of these exhibits, we want to emphasize that being black, being woman, isn't just one thing. And I think I might add to that, which is, uh, I encourage from the very beginnings of creating this is that we must, you know, tell and insert our stories in the narrative of, yes, the history of this country. And, uh, and for me, telling the story of my grandmother, sometimes people ask me, you know, you create an exhibit and you put your grandmother in it. And yes, you do, because you have to honor that 
history of, of what should be inserted that has not been. Um, and again, you know, both my grandmother and my aunt, you will find in the exhibit, and these are stories that came to, uh, well, one came to our front door because she was featured, um, you know, on Ellis Island. And the other one was because PBS was doing a deep dive on um, a black history story. So all I'm saying is, and then we go to areas when we, we focus on Longmeadow, we want to see how we look at that history. This is not just about how history has been shared. What is our voice for that history? And so you will see our uh, look at what is what we feel should be included. And that presents a really rich dialogue. History is a two way street and we both have to insert our voices. So that's what Voices of Resilience is all about, teaching young people their voices matter. Is this one day, one night only? That sounds like a great, you know, phrase from Broadway, one night only, but it is one night only, but hopefully it will be uh, more in the future. Okay, we leave it there. You've been listening to Black in the Valley on Talk the Talk. We thank our two very special guests, Janine Bonton and Demetria Shabazz, our regular segment host, the Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Smith-Crooks and Professor Carly Professor Tartikoff. This is Talk the Talk. If you're listening in the morning of another hour coming up in the afternoon, thank you for spending some of your day with us on Talk the Talk. Thank you, guys. Food Bank of Western Massachusetts provides healthy food to families and individuals facing hunger in our region. And right now, with food insecurity the highest it's been in recent years, the Food Bank is distributing more emergency food than ever. Learn more about the Food Bank or get support for yourself and your family. Go to foodbankwma.org or call 413-247-9738. The Food Bank of Western Mass, committed to making sure our neighbors have enough to eat and leading the community to end hunger. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 10 o'clock. It's CBS News on the Hour, sponsored by General Steel. I'm Deborah Rodriguez. The Supreme Court begins hearing arguments this hour on President Biden's program to wipe away college debt for millions of Americans. The plan makes more than 40 million people eligible for some level of debt forgiveness, and 20 million could have their debts erased entirely. The court is hearing two challenges to the plan, one by two students and a second by six Republican states. Among the issues for justices, whether those challenging the program have the right to sue, which includes showing that they are financially hurt by the plan. Allison Keyes, CBS News, Washington. It's a snow day on both coasts. Northern California is getting blasted with snow. They're measuring in feet, not inches. It shut down Interstate 80. New York City and parts of Connecticut are getting their first significant amounts this season. Correspondent Errol Barnett reports from Bristol, Connecticut. There are some school closures, so that keeps school buses off the roads. 
concert here on Main Street, which I guess would be relatively busy in a morning with, quote, rush hour traffic in a town like this, it's been relatively clear. I've certainly seen the snow plows hard at work. This month's ransomware attack on the U.S. Marshals Service is just one in a growing rash of cyber crimes. There were more cyber attacks in the U.S. last year than ever before, according to the cybersecurity firm CrowdStrike. Its chief of security, Sean Henry, appeared on CBS Mornings. There are multiple nation states that are using this as a tool of their digital uh, exploitation and part of, of their intelligence collection. The White House has told all federal workers they have 30 days to stop using TikTok on government-issued devices. Congress approved the ban, arguing the Chinese-owned app is a security risk. Jim Crisula, CBS News. Drive a small SUV. Good thing this Rogue has a VC turbo engine. Nissan is recalling more than 800,000 Rogues and Rogue Sports because the jackknife folding keys in 2017 through 2022 models may not stay fully open. If they're partially unfolded, drivers could inadvertently shut off the engine while they're in motion. The company says no crashes or injuries have been reported, and there's still no fix. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' new book has just gone on sale, and it's already number one on Amazon's top 100 list, thanks to pre-orders. The Courage to be Free praises former President Trump and lays out DeSantis' model for the rest of the country ahead of his own expected presidential bid. This week, the governor completed a state takeover of a taxing district in Orlando, controlled by Disney for more than half a century. And the lighthouse is shining again on Sanibel Island in Florida. Cheers went up as it came to life five months after Hurricane Ian ravaged the island. This is CBS News. Business owners, General Steel can help save you thousands by owning your own custom-designed buildings. Call 888-98-STEEL or visit GeneralSteel.com. Eric was way behind on his taxes. I owed a lot of money to the IRS, almost $15,000. I tried to make payments. The IRS wasn't satisfied with Eric's efforts, so they came after him full force. They're coming to put a lien and a hold on all my income, my home, my car. I was just overwhelmed at what to do. Then Eric called Optima Tax Relief. When Optima Tax got involved, the cars would stop, the threats would stop. It was easy like, uh... One, two, three. Optima Tax Relief is A-plus rated by the Better Business Bureau, and their team of expert tax professionals took care of Eric's problem. I owe 15000 and now my debt is clean. I don't owe anything. Take Eric's advice. If you have a tax problem, you need to call Optima Tax now. Call Optima Tax Relief for a free consultation. Call 800-343-646. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Police are now identifying the man killed early Saturday morning outside MGM Casino in Springfield. 48-year-old William Tisdall of Hartford was shot around 2 a.m. after exchanging gunfire with Springfield police. Police were responding after reports of Tisdall acting aggressively in the casino and armed with a firearm. The Gazette reports Tisdall had called for more police transparency after his own teenage son was shot and wounded by Connecticut officers in 2017. The shooting remains under investigation to determine whether the use of deadly force was warranted. Hadley could be getting two new firefighters and a new police officer if the proposed $20.48 million budget is approved. The spending plan presented to the Select Board and Finance Committee at a joint meeting February 22nd is 4.2 percent higher than this year's $19.64 million budget. The budget includes new positions for municipal committees and town offices and $7.75 million for public schools. The budget will be brought to voters for adoption at town meeting on May 4th. Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegardner delivered the annual State of the City address last night. She spoke of the projects the city has been working on this year, like the $21 million fire station, 
and $20 million library, along with the new skate park. Looking toward the future, the mayor said the city remains resilient and focused on setting the stage for continued economic development. Snow continues today. The good news is that the snow will lessen in intensity by mid-afternoon, and the temperature will be arising to or above freezing, which will also limit accumulation on roadways. So mainly a wet and occasionally slushy evening commute. High temperatures today, 32 to 36. Evening flurries tonight, then partial clearing overnight, low 14 to 20. Increasing clouds tomorrow with a chance of a late rain or snow shower, a high of 40 to 44. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. Welcome to Talk to Talk. This is Buzz Eisenberg, and Bill Newman is pretty soon going to be at 40,000 feet, heading back home from his family visit in Africa, in Mauritius. Um, it is uh, always a joy to talk with uh, Duke Goldman uh, on his Fair Play segment. Uh, I think Duke is with us by phone. Hello, Duke. Hey there, Buzz. How are you? I'm okay. I drove in, and it was fairly uneventful. And I think it's a good day for you to call in instead of uh, risking the road. So it's great to talk to you. I know um, we had uh, talked about what we're going to be talking about today, and I, I just want to lead by saying, in my view, you know, the uh, sort of top-flight athletes are not just physical specimens. They are mentally disciplined. They are able to focus uh, in a way to block out everything else so that they could perform at the highest level. And you want to talk about both their physical and their mental health today. So w what is it that you've been thinking about? Well, it all began, uh, I, I shouldn't say it all began, you know, I, these, these thoughts have been through my mind previously, but I came across an article in The Guardian, which is a great publication, um, that talks about worldwide issues, not just American issues. And these issues are, of course, worldwide. And in the Guardian article, which was an article from February 20th, 2023, on culture crises across sports, they talked about this very issue of sports performance and what it means for an athlete to perform and the issues they deal with. And the issues they deal with are, of course, both physical and mental, and those issues, I believe, are intertwined, as they are for all of us. You know, when we talk about athletes, we're, we're, we're talking about the human condition, but they're specialized human beings. And yet, these athletes, we have to remember, are not physical products. They are living, breathing, flesh and blood who have feelings and emotions. And yes, as you pointed out, Buzz, when they perform, they are trying and often exceed, is succeeding at compartmentalizing, at focusing all their energies on that immediate moment. 
But I think we've all had that experience when, because all of us in the performance of our jobs, our duties, even our avocations have anxiety. And we build up to that moment of performance. And it's not only what we go through to get to the performance and hopefully excel, it's what comes afterwards. And I know I've had that feeling when I've wanted to perform at something. I, I play piano. I've performed as a teacher for most of my career. And you get so excited and built up and you perform and then it's over. Uh, even even just preparing for today's uh, appearance on the radio, you know, for me, for you, we, we we prepare, we get into a certain frame of mind, and it's true, after you've right. done it a while, it becomes comfortable. But right. I remember all my coaches talking about the the wonderful thing about sports, at least in high school, was learning how to stay focused, learning that mental discipline. But um, the Guardian article indicates that there's dangers afoot. Well, yes, this is a problem, and it's a problem that I saw especially through the eyes of Michael Phelps. And I'm sure most of the listeners are very familiar with Michael Phelps as an athlete. And Olympic performance is interesting. I mean, you know, it's a particular kind of performance, but I would argue when it comes to this issue, it's essentially the canary in the coal mine. You know, it really illuminates how extreme a problem sports performance can be for athletes and that we are participants in that problem. And I think back to even a few weeks ago on the radio show when we were talking about football and foot, football uh, fans are participating by their, av- their, their avid enthusiasm and their willingness to watch these athletes on the field who are doing damage to themselves physically and mentally. By participating, you mean we're complicit when we watch it? We're complicit, yes, because we get great joy out of it. And then it occurred to me, well, when I sit and watch the Olympics, and I remember so well watching Michael Phelps perform in 2008 in Beijing, when he got eight gold medals as the best, most people would say today, he's the best swimmer in history. Uh, He went through unbelievable stress and pressure to reach that pinnacle. Not only all the years of preparation, and of course for athletes like this, it's preparing all their lives, all their lives for moments, some of which last 40 odd seconds, and if they make one tiny little mistake, that performance can turn into a not gold medal performance. In other words, they could be second or third or fourth or even fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth in in the swimming heat in the world. And that's, as far as most people are concerned, nothing, a failure. In fact, Michael Phelps has said he got much more distress over losing than he got joy out of winning. But we as fans, and I as a fan, got tremendous joy watching him excel, watching him go through this, this journey, and I'm not saying he didn't enjoy it too, but he talked about what discipline it took. Remember, when they win eight races, they're not just doing eight races. They're doing heats. They're doing something like 24 races in the course of usually swimming is about seven or eight days in the Olympics. So they're constantly, constantly on. And when it's over... It's like they've reached the pinnacle and they've died at the same time. Mm. Athletes have two deaths. They die, you know, like all of us do at the end of their lives, 
but there's a certain sense of the life of an athlete dies in performance when their performance is over. Now, at least with a professional athlete, the 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 athlete tends to have a longer life. But a, an amateur athlete has that one moment or one moment every four years. How many people even paid any attention to Michael Phelps in between the Olympics? That's re- it's, it's a great question, Duke. Duke Goldman, is Michael Phelps, I had such profound admiration for him when he won those eight great medals, gold medals, excuse me. Um, I just thought it was such an amazing performance, but I was never prouder of an athlete than I was when he came out and talked about his own mental health challenges. Right, and he he did a documentary, which I recommend to everybody if they can find it on HBO, called The Weight of Gold, where he, along with other top-level athletes, talked about what they went through, what their experience was like, and this feeling that they were a product, that all that mattered to people was how well they succeeded. And, of course, it, here the complicity is not just the athletes. It's the system. The system does not put weight on mental, me, mental health and well-being. And in that Guardian article I mentioned earlier, even the notion of giving giving them mental support, let's say, to see an advisor, that in itself is not enough. I'll quote from that article. An hour with a well-being advisor almost makes it worse when, then, when you then go back into the unchanged performance environment that is causing extreme stress the rest of the time. So how do you create a circumstance where mental well-being is important and where athletes recognize and we all recognize that it is really more the pursuit of their excellence that that matters and not the excellence itself because if all that's valued is excellence then they are really products products that are disposed of when the performance is over you mean are you really saying it's not whether you win or lose it's dot 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 no I'm not saying that. It does matter whether people win or lose, but it's about how they get there. It's, I've always believed in life it's more about process than outcome. You, your goal is to reach the best, sure, but it's all about how you get there. It's all about your growth and development. It's all about the story that helps you to define who you are and hopefully when and if you perform, and whether you win or lose, you still go on to savor the result and savor who you've been and the challenges you faced and dealt with, whether you've succeeded in that moment or not. And how do we all support each other, athletes and otherwise, to be citizens in our society and function as we pursue excellence. That's such a profound question. I know when you've, you've talked about issues like this, particularly physical health in the context of the NFL, um, and it always comes down to money, doesn't it? I mean, we're talking about the Olympics. We're talking about professional tennis. We see these uh, issues about emotional and mental health arising, and there's just so much money at stake. And that's, yes, of course, you know, sadly, all the problems go back to money because the Olympics is big business. If we go back to that for a moment, you know, could they have stretched out performance circumstances? Let's say, let the swimmers, you know, do heats at a more leisurely pace so that it doesn't go on 
you know, where they're doing three performances every day. Sure, they could do that, but it works better for TV and for creating drama to all, you know, put it into a certain defined space, whether or not that's good for the athlete. Um, why is it that, you know, the, the USOC, as many of the athletes have said, only care about the athletes if they're winning? United if States Olympics winning, Committee, right. Correct. Um, if they're not winning, well, you know, they're not important. Duke, I have to ask you about Simone Biles. Yes. Incredible story in in women's gymnastics. Yeah, and Simone Biles is another incredible example of someone who was put under immense stress. And she was interviewed where she was asked uh, what the... This was before the Tokyo Olympics where she finally decided she had to step back because she was under such risk of injury and under so much stress. She was asked what was the happiest moment of her career. And her answer was, honestly, my time off. Mm. Here's a celebrated athlete. She'd already won gold medals. She was happier when she had a break. Because what did she live through for all these years? She lived through the intensity of unbelievable expectation. Nomi Osaka is another example of an athlete who was put under such stress tennis player who backed out of, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even use backed out of because that sounds like, you know, she was, you know, not living up to her commitment. So she withdrew is a better way of saying from the French Open. Um, She didn't do well in the Tokyo Olympics. And she talked about how there was an expectation that she would show up at press conferences. And if she didn't show up, she was now scorned. Well, Do we think about how athletes, when they perform, not only are they being watched by millions of eyes while they perform and any tiny stumble gets poured over, but then they have to go up there both before and after their performance and have it dissected and being critiqued and criticized if they did not reach the top level. And Nomi Osaka basically said, you know, we should all be allowed to have times where we we say, no, I can't, I can't do it today. And yet, You know, much of the public will say, hey, look look at all the attention they're getting. Look at all the money they're going to make from commercials. They should be out there whenever we want them to. And I think that attitude is is troubling to me. It's very troubling. And on top of everything else that you've talked about, which I thoroughly agree with, is the fact that so many of them are either children or very young people who don't have the sort of fundamentals of life experience under their belt to allow them to put stress in a proper perspective. It's, I mean, we're talking about teenage girls quite often in these, you know, Olympics that are watched by billions of people. Correct. And I liken it here to like child actors, you know, people who from the earliest of ages are, are in the spotlight or under pressure or performing and they do not have normal development. And so I, I experienced one time being in Michigan and seeing a travel hockey team um, seeing all the kids staying in a hotel um, who were preparing for a tournament with all of their parents there. I spoke to some of their parents, and the parents were talking about, we're, we're on the road every week, taking our kids everywhere. Well, I don't want to make it sound like it's one-sided. To some degree, this is good. This is family time together, kids participating in the sport they enjoy and love. But the other side of it is they're getting certain messages that 
succeeding is what matters. Anything less than success is, is not a good thing. That their life at that point as an athlete is more important than anything else. And then the question also becomes, what, what are the coaches doing? Are the coaches encouraging their, their development not just as performers on, a, on, on the ice or on the field or on the diamond or in the swimming pool? Or are they also understanding that these are young human beings whose minds are forming physically, emotionally, and mentally, and who need support and understanding and encouragement whether they're winning or losing? We are going to be taking a break. It's, it's amazing, Duke Goldman, that what you're talking about some people could think it's just your theory or that of the Guardian in the article that you cited, uh, but it's not a theory. These are observations. We all see the level of stress that these athletes are performing under, and we all often um, under, come to understand, thanks to the courage of the Simone Biles and the Naomi Osaka's and the Michael Phelps's, we come to understand that the stress is overwhelming. Um, is it worth it? We're going to be back. This is fair play. And we're going to be talking more with Duke Goldman about that issue right after these messages. Stay with us. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. My name is Jenny Papa George. I'm the director of plan giving at Cooley Dickinson Hospital. Having a strong community health system is vital to the health and well-being of our community. At Cooley, we're grateful to the community that supports us through your kind words, generous gifts, and legacy plans. Without you, we wouldn't have a thriving community hospital that's here for you and the people you love. I welcome you to get in touch to talk about what Cooley means to you. Visit us at cooleydickinson.org slash giving. Hi, this is Linda DeGillis, Vice President and Trust Officer at Greenfield Savings Bank Wealth Management and Trust Services. Investing your money does not mean having to abandon your core values. Environmental and social governance investments, also called ESG investments, allow you to focus your money in businesses and industries that match your environmental and social values and avoid those which do not. Environmental and social governance investments let you put your money where your values are. ESG investments are just one example of how we create individually designed portfolio managers management plans for our clients. To learn more about ESG investing and our portfolio management services and for a free consultation, call us at 413-775-8335 or go to the wealth management section of our website at greenfieldsavings.com. Thank you. GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services, offering portfolio management, estate settlement, and trust administration services. Call 413-775-8335 or go to the wealth management section at greenfieldsavings.com. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. PVHabitat.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back. This is Buzz Eisenberg, and we are in uh, our Fair Play segment with the extraordinary uh, observer of sports, Duke Goldman. Duke uh, is talking about the issue of athletes performing under very high stress um, with associated health challenges, not only physical, but mental health challenges. And 
Duke, I couldn't help but remember my own experience as an athlete, as a young athlete in various different sports, sports um, where I would just be told, walk it off. Sometimes it's, you know, you twist your ankle. Um, sometimes you're really just upset about something, and the coach would always say, walk it off. What do you say to that? I guess what I would say to that is, you know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, there is something to be said for the idea. I think we all, again, taking it back to normal to everyday life. I know I walk every day. And if every time I felt the slightest twinge, I decided, you know, I've got to shut it down, I'd be in trouble. I'm a type 1 diabetic, and if I don't walk every morning, my blood sugar goes out of control. So lots of times I continue to walk but I'm cognizant of what's going on. Now, performance athletes are in a different circumstance. They're in an arena. They're under pressure, and many of their, their issues are, you know, much more severe than that. And we've had our, our history of sports is replete with, with, with coaches telling athletes to go out there and continue to perform, and often with devastating results. And we've made some progress, certainly more so, I think, in the professional arena of recognizing that, People performing need to be cognizant of their physical well-being. But now we're also talking about mental well-being. And if coaches just say, gee, too bad, for instance, you know, we used to have in professional sports when your wives were having kids, when your dad had died, it didn't matter. You had to go out and play. Go out and play. It's a, a version of walk it off. Walk off your feelings. We finally at least have a movement towards the recognition that people need time off to grieve. People need time off when their families are having, you know, when their, their, their spouses are having children. But also people need time off if they're going through mental travails. And mm. it's not reasonable to expect, whether it's young people or adults, um, to, to just forget about it because the damage can be immense. I am so glad that you mentioned Naomi Osaka, who, and as you said, as a recent Grand Slam winner, she decided that the pressures was too, were too much, and she publicly announced her withdrawal from the next, I don't remember, you said it was French Open, maybe it was, uh, Grand Slam tournament. And I will. my wife is not a sports fan, but she observes because by osmosis they're... It's all around us. And she said to me, I don't remember ever having as much respect for an athlete as I had for Naomi Osaka. Powerful. Yes, absolutely. Because these are, because the, the pressure is on not only to perform, but also to, as we, we said, whether it's walk it off or shake it off and not to acknowledge it's, it's a sign of weakness to acknowledge that you're struggling. Life is about struggle. We all struggle reaching excellence through the pursuit with acknowledging the struggle is what I think all of us in our different ways in life strive to do. So, so how do, how do we bring that keen observation on your part into the world of professional and high level sports? Because, um, it needs to be transported as an observer of sports. How do, how do we make the, How do we effectuate the respect required in order to say you're a human being above being an athlete we want you to be free of the kind of stresses we're talking about and to be mentally healthy well it's about consciousness and cultural change and and you know holding our our institutions accountable um you know there isn't a magic pill we're not going to get 
the USOC, United States Olympic Committee, or Major League Baseball or the National Football League to wake up tomorrow and say, oh, we've been doing it all wrong, which is not to say that they are, in fact, doing it all wrong. There, there has to be a, a societal movement, which I think is happening and needs to be supported by all of us to see that um, mental health matters just as much as physical health. What that, a great place to leave it. Well, I'm sorry. I cut you off. No. No, no, no mental that, health that, matters just as much as physical health. And, go ahead. And that, that you know, this means systems and, and resources are provided for everybody, regardless of their performance, and that they are encouraged to express themselves and speak to their needs. As always, Duke, I, I love this fair play segment. You just don't leave it to talk about sports, which we hear about so often, but you talk about real human consequences of sports and you talk about justice. And um, I can't tell you how grateful we are for these uh, segments that we have with you on fair play. Thank you. I really enjoy them. Duke Goldman, thank you for joining us today. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it will be Jackie Walsh's playbill. And this week we're going to look at uh, a play, I think it's pronounced All Rush. We will learn about it. It's at the UMass uh, Theater. Uh, it's a play based on a Persian myth, and we will have the director here with us today, right after these messages. Stay with us. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. More than a dozen police cruisers could be seen on King Street in Northampton last night surrounding a vehicle. A fire truck was also on site. Northampton Police Department say they cannot provide any further information at this time. The Registry of Motor Vehicles is closing some of their locations due to the snow. Offices in Chicopee, East Hampton, Greenfield, Springfield, and Pittsfield are among those that are closed. Road tests are also canceled. The RMV will still conduct all driver's license suspension hearings, however, that are scheduled for today. Mountain Road is closed to all traffic today. East Hampton police are asking drivers to find another route. There is no word yet on when it will reopen. The road was closed as of 11 p.m. last night. East Hampton officials are reviewing three redevelopment proposals for the former Center, Pepin, and Maple Elementary schools. The council declared the schools surplus after it was determined they were no longer necessary for municipal use last September. The three proposals all contain an element of affordable housing and come from the NHP Foundation, a nonprofit from New York City, Arch Communications from Needham, and Wayfinders, the Springfield Affordable Housing Development nonprofit, which wants to buy just the Maple Street School to redevelop into 54 new housing units. Mayor Nicola Chappelle plans to name a committee to review each bid package and present to City Council. Snow continues today. The good news is that the snow will lessen in intensity by mid-afternoon and the temperature will be arising to or above freezing, which will also limit accumulation on roadways. So mainly a wet and occasionally slushy evening commute. High temperatures today, 32 to 36. Evening flurries tonight, then partial clearing overnight, low 14 to 20. Increasing clouds tomorrow with a chance of a late rain or snow shower, a high of 40 to 44. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. 
It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1401-1400-1240. WHMP. Forbes Library Outreach Delivery Service caters to residents of any age who are homebound due to short or long-term disability in Northampton, Florence, and Leeds. A volunteer will deliver your specific requests or select materials for you based on your interests. We offer books, magazines, CDs, DVDs, and puzzles. Call 413-587-1019 or sign up at ForbesLibrary.org outreach. Is plant-based milk really milk? The Food and Drug Administration says it is. The agency has issued draft guidance to plant-based milk producers, saying product labels should compare nutritional values with dairy milk. The dairy industry criticized the move. If you have a Kosori air fryer in your kitchen, check the label. The company is recalling more than 2 million of the appliances because a wire connection can overheat, posing fire and burn hazards. The company has already received more than 200 reports of that happening. You're running a fever. You have a dry cough and you feel terrible. It could be the flu or it could be COVID-19. Now you can find out by taking just one test. The FDA has granted emergency use authorization for an over-the-counter test that can detect both. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We live in such a rich region when it comes to the performing arts, and we're so lucky that we have Jackie Walsh and her weekly Playbill segment to alert us to some of the interesting things that happen here in Western Massachusetts on stage. And Jackie, you have uh, a play that you want to talk about that is based on a Persian myth that is going to be performed at UMass's theater. Could you tell us about that? Sure. So today we are um, interviewing the director. The play is Arash, and it's a Persian story. And we're super excited about talking to Bainam Abba, sorry, Alibashi about the play. Before, I'm just going to give you a couple, list a couple things going on in the Valley. Please do. Um, we talked to Ann Berman, I think either last week or the week before, about her lecture series at Shakespeare and Company in Lenox. March 4th, she'll be talking about Mid- Midsummer Night's Dream. It's kind of a prequel to the show being at um, Shakespeare and Company in August and September and then on April 1st, she's speaking about jealousy in Shakespeare, which Ooh. should be fun. Mm. Um, Glass Menagerie will be, is at the Majestic through April 2nd, which is really cool. It's such a classic by Tennessee Williams. Um, Into the Woods, which is also a classic, which I've never seen a Sondheim play, and that will be at UMass April 28th through May 6th. We'll talk more about that on other shows. Intimate Apparel, a Silverthorne show, will be at Hawks and Reed, March 10th through 18th. It's about a black seamstress in New York City in 1905. There aren't a lot of plays set 
in that exact time period. I think we're so, going to be talking about that next week. Is that right? I think so, yes. And it's starring the wonderful Tammy Dare as Esther, the seamstress. She did Elephant Man with me last year. She is one of the nicest people in the world, very talented actress, great singer, and she's now been in a couple Silver Thorn shows. So today we are just so happy to have Bainam Alabakshi here, director of Arash. He's from Iran. He Arash is an Iranian epic adapted by um, Baram Baram Bezi, yeah. And um, that actually happened last weekend, and then it will be on March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th at 7, 3 p.m. Very affordable theater. It's $15 a person, $5 for students and seniors. So, Benam, thank you for coming in. Thank you for inviting me and bring this opportunity to talk about the Arash performance. Excellent. So, Jackie, before you go, yeah. I know you're going to ask this question, but I just sure. have to ask go it. Go for it. You are a native Farsi speaker. Yes. English is not an easy language to learn your way around. Yeah. And here you are directing native English speakers as part of Orash in your role as director. That must be challenging for you. Yes. Uh, yes. It's a, it's a great question that it was a... It was a big challenge really for me because for 40 years I used to only speak Farsi but after that I arrived here and I had to speak in English it was challenging fortunately I had a good team member dramaturg dear Harley and a stage manager Anika Nayak who a stage manager basically is more uh, familiar with this kind of culture and uh, a style of a storytelling and they helped me in explaining in detail many things but at the same time every day I'm trying to improve my English and because the theater based on the language and when you have when you are facing with language barrier you have to find Others maybe tools for making connection or communicating with your actors. Sometimes maybe I a, had a lot to. of hand gestures. I imagine, yeah. Jackie, mm -hmm. you've directed. Why don't you direct ten Farsi speakers <laughs> in Farsi? Okay, forty years from now, I'll check in with you. And maybe I'll have a sentence or two. So tell us what the myth is, and and is it a well-known? myth like would your average 18 year old in iran know the myth yes yes thank you so much for asking this i think that yes it's a very well known myth that all the iranian almost uh, not almost all the iranian know about that and especially this day these days this myth inspired them because the myth originally is about uh, patriotism or loving of land or uh, loving the people. The myth is about the, there is a battlefield, there is a war between Iranian and Turanian, and Iranian is defeated or defeated. Uh, and uh, the Turanian for humiliation ask them to send their hero 
for throwing an arrow to that arrow can uh, um, can make the border between two, these two countries. It's the myth. And uh, the greatest archer of Iran who was an hero, Arash, is going to through this arrow. And he put his life, his lives in an arrow and put to, and through that and shoot that, and, mm. uh, that arrow. And that arrow goes to the same border that they had from the <laughs> previous. It's the myth. Mm. But there is a big difference between this script and the Bahram Beizai's point of view and what we have in the myth. Because in the, in the script, Arash is not a hero. He is a very simple person. He is an ordinary person who is innocent and naive and don't know any of the... Arash has no idea about the world and how much this world could be dark or cruel. Right. Yes. So we are talking to Bainam Alabakshi about Arash, which is a play that will be at UMass through March 4th. You can go, where can people find out more about the show? The uh, UMass Theater? Yes, the U UMass Theater Department website. They can find all the information and uh, some details about this show. Uh -huh, Jackie, you know, often we go to theater to be entertained, but this sounds like you could really learn, uh, as people who know so little about Iranian culture, we can learn more about current Iranian culture and thinking by exploring this Persian myth that every Iranian was raised with, right? Yes, yes, yes. And the thing that is interesting it's for me is that these uh, play is not only it's not only about the Iranian people because this simple person who under the pressure from the society and pol politicians in the script had to shoot the arrow Arash decided to do something, although it seems that he can't, because he never, in, this, uh, in, in the play that we are working on, he never shoot an arrow, and he don't know the art of archery, even. But because they pushed him to do something, Arash decide to do something instead of staying and looking to what is happening. And with this, he, ch he changing he himself and the world as well at the same time. Mm. And because I think that it's about the situation that all the people around the world in a different ways or sense are experiencing about the hopelessness each one of us in on our way, we are experiencing a kind of hopelessness. And in one scene of the play, Arash say that I'm thankful for this hopelessness. 
because it's learned me to do something, to do my best. And with doing this, I will change myself and as well as the world. Right. Mm. Um, I have a question about, I, I know that there's Farsi poetry that are that is part of this play. Um, I know that uh, Afghan music, Persian music, often is based on poetry. So do you think poetry is um, more uh, mainstream or more important in in um, Iran than, than it may be here? Thank you so much for asking this, yes. Uh, I think that the most uh, important aspect of Persian culture is literature and poem. Uh, I want to read one part of a, po a Persian poem here. It says that human beings are members of a whole in creation of one essence and soul. If one member is afflicted with a pain, other member, other members uneasy will remain. If you have no sympathy with human pain, the name of human you cannot retain. Mm. You, 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 the, this poem goes back to 1,000 years ago mm. by Sadi Shirazi. But, and you, you can see that how much the poetry, we have Rumi's, we have Sadi, Hafiz, Ferdowsi, we have a lot of uh, mythical and uh, greatest poet in Iran. And I think that this is the most important aspect of Persian culture that we use as an Iranian, we used to grow up with this kind of poetry and mindset about the literature and about the wisdom uh, behind the literature. It's, it's a very profound concept that, um, that we are not different. Yes. That uh, especially, you know, when we talk about the the geopolitical situation between Iran and the United States, and those of us who are just citizens of these two countries, we are each going to experience hopelessness. Each have to take action in order to do something with our hopelessness, and we're really not that different when you unpeel each of our lives. Well, uh, well see, I hear uh, this is Dan. I hear like a universal story. Yes. A universal myth that transcends just it being an Iranian story. It yeah. might be Iranian characters. It might be in Farsi. I wasn't sure. Are they both languages? Is it going to be English and there's some Farsi? And it's it's, it's a mix. But I also hear that it's a. It seems like it's a universal transcending the culture, and talking to humans uh, beyond just Iran. It Absolutely. sounds like Orash is an important play to see. Uh, we are. Uh, this is Playbill with Jackie Walsh. We're going to take a break. We're talking with the Iranian. Dictator Bainam Ali Bakshi. <laughs> you said dictator. Did I say dictator? <laughs> dictator could be good. Could be good. Awesome. He is not a dictator. He is a director. And I need to go back to elementary school. Maybe I should learn Farsi. We'll be right back. Thank you uh, so with much. Bainam right after this. <laughs> I did say. Thank you 
This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well with Without unnecessary risk, Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit HugYourMoney.com. In today's competitive hiring environment, job seekers demand stability, competitive salary, generous benefits, work-life balance, and a path to retirement. The Massachusetts Department of Correction can offer all of those things. This is the perfect time to join the team as a correction officer and take advantage of the accelerated hiring process in a career that's challenging yet rewarding and allows one to make a positive difference in the lives of others by providing custody care and support programs for those under supervision. Salaries start at $62,000 and include a pension plan, health, dental, and vision insurance, as well as paid sick, personal, and comp time. Get full pay during your academy training, education pay, tuition reimbursement, and the option of early retirement after 20 years. If you have never considered a career in corrections, now is the perfect time. Apply today at mass.gov doc recruitment. Start your rewarding career at the Massachusetts Department of Corrections. Paid for by the Massachusetts Department of Corrections. There's the Sauvignon Blanc side and the salami sandwich side, the brick and feather beer side, and the broccoli side, the deli side, and the Don Julio side. State Street in Northampton has two sides, grocery on one side, beer, wines, and spirits on the other. Cooper's Corner in Florence has two sides, grocery on one side, beer, wines, and spirits on the other. But the nice thing about State Street and Cooper's, you don't have to pick a side. You can choose both sides at both stores. The world feels so divided sometimes. For once, don't choose sides. Go to both sides. At both stores. State Street Fruit Store Deli Wines and Spirits in Northampton and Cooper's Corner on the other side of Northampton in Florence. Two sides, same coin. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Playbill with Jackie Walsh, and we're talking to Iranian director, not dictator, Bainam Ali Bakhti. 
Yucky. Well, some people say their director can be a bit of a dictator. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. not you. I'm sure you're a very nice one. So I noticed in your program, which you were nice enough to send me this morning, um, you do mention Masa Amini's death. She was a 22-year-old who in September 2022 uh, um, got in trouble with the, I guess, Iranian police and for not supposedly wearing her head covering properly and was murdered. Um, so tell me why that's in the program and what you see the connection of that is to the play Arash, which is being produced at UMass through March 4th. Thank you so much. Yes, because I think that the core idea of the play and what happened what is happening right now in Iran is very similar because also Mahsa Amini was a, was an innocent and very simple person who was in a street they came with her family to the capital of Iran for visiting for a couple of days they were living in a for, uh, for uh, many far distance from the capital. They yeah. came to see and visit the capital, and they arrested her, and they killed her. Yes. And she became a hero, a symbol or metaphor for fighting against of this uh, cruel and suppressor regime of Iran. And I think that this is similar to what is happening in Arash, a simple person who had to, who have to put his life to change the world and become a symbol of the fighting against something. Also, I think that at the same time, because we are experiencing many things about the woman rights, many issues, many difficulties about the woman rights of Iran. I cast the Arash as a girl in contrast to what we have in ah. the script. And because by this, I wanted to resonate or amplify the concept of Although it's a universal message or a story or whatever, but at the same time, uh, me, as an Iranian director, I wanted to draw attention to what is happening in Iran right uh -huh. now. So you, you're young, you're 40, um, and you were born, I can't do the math quickly, but after the Iranian revolution, which was 78, 79, 80, somewhere around there, so, but things are worse now than, say, when you were 20? It's a really ridiculous situation. Because from my birthday, always, every day, get worse and worse. But always, we had a lot of hope that we can make many changes. We participate in voting, in election, and we wanted to, with this kind of uh, movement, we wanted to change something. But 
revealed that no, this Islamic regime never wants to uh, accept anything or correct any situation. But I think that most of Iranians right now have a dream to back to the situation that we had before the revolution. It, and sometimes it's a big mistake for some American that they thinking that in those era, in Shah's era, was a dictatorship as well. But we needed that. And all of the people of Iran, including me, loves those era. And I personally, at least I can say, I love the Shah of Iran and mm -hmm. what he did for the for our country and by our westernizing people. the country yes yes mm -hmm. yes are you concerned about your safety here in america speaking like you are right now when you return to iran i ha i must be i must be but because i'm thinking these days always i i'm thinking about this kind of thing because i have to tr i want to travel to iran but i'm thinking and i'm saying with myself that they destroyed all of my life. In 40 years, years old, when I was teaching in Iranian university, I had to left there and come here, and there are many difficulties, so I don't care about them. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time because this conversation could go on for a very long time. I, we so much respect who you are, what you're doing. One more time, Jackie, what is the play, where is it, and mm -hmm. when is it? So it's Arash, it's an uh, Iranian epic. It's at UMass in the Fine Arts Center. Yes. And it's um, it was last weekend, and also this weekend, March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th at 7.30. Tickets are inexpensive, $15, and then students and seniors pay $5. And you can get more information by going on the UMass Theater Department's website. Thank you. For those of you who have been listening in the morning, thank you so much for spending some of your day with us. If you're listening in the afternoon, coming up right after the news break, another full hour of Talk to Talk, including Josh Silver, political consultant, talking about will Trump get indicted and what are his presidential prospects in 24, and Voices of Resilience, a museum exhibit celebrating the end of Black History Month, Jackie Walsh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for this opportunity. Behnam Alabakshi, the director. Yes, Behnam Alibakshi. Yes, thank you so much. We'll talk with you tomorrow. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to, you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Live and local news and talk for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 11 o'clock.